I'm going to invite Phil up. He's going to share with us shortly. But while we were in worship, um, I really felt that we were to honour him and cover him in prayer as he shares. So um, I was wondering if Isaac, you'd come and join me. Dad, you want to come and join? Fraser, would you come and join me? Um, I just feel we're to, um, yeah, Hank, do you want to join me in prayer as well? Yeah. Um, I just feel that we're to cover Phil in prayer, and there's a reason why we've kind of collected these guys, and that was because God had said to me that there was, that there was men who were to stand around him and, and champion him. And it's regardless of title, regardless of status or position, these are men who we honor as faithful stewards, um, as men of God, and so that's why you've been invited up to pray over, over Phil. So, um, yeah, we're just, I would encourage each of you to pray as you feel led and comfortable, um, but particularly over 2020 and what Phil's about to share. Awesome. Yeah, Father God, we thank you for a pastor who is willing to submit himself before you, lay his life down and sacrifice great things in order that the kingdom would be extended and reached. We know that the, the mantle placed on him is not, it's not light, but it's easy. That you're, we, we, we profess that promise that your yoke is always easy. God would feel no a new sense of that. That though the burden may be heavy in his responsibilities, would he know that your yoke is fully easy? God, we honor and, and champion him and stand beside him as he leads us, as he shares with us, as he imparts vision. Would we hear the heartbeat of you in his words? Thank you, God. Father, we pray that even as uh, Phil goes ahead and leads us uh, and brings us uh, to that place uh, where you want us to be, that you would go ahead of him, that you would make the path straight, that you would clear away the obstacles, that you would set the markers in place, uh, that he would be following along behind. Father, we thank you for the strength that uh, you have given to him, and we pray for more strength uh, to, to forge a path ahead uh, that we can follow, th- uh, follow in behind. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would protect him, Lord, for all of those things, those, those false trails, Lord, those uh, paths that would seem to go somewhere but don't, Lord, those tricks and traps of the enemy that would uh, take his eyes off the path that you have marked clearly before him. So Lord, we just thank you for your protection and your guidance. Father, I just want to thank you for this man of God, you know, that uh, leads this church, you know, so well and, uh, you know, needs so much of you, of your spirit, Father. And I, I just want to acknowledge, Father, that, you know, it's the truth that the man who bows so deep for you, that there's nothing of himself anymore, but all of it is you, you know, it's the man that's according to your heart. And I, I just pray, Father, that you're going to bring this spirit on our pastor. Father, that, that there's a spirit of growth and, and humility, you know, so that, you know, so that, that you know, what, what your word is saying, that more of you and less of him, Father, and that, that he may lead us in a, in, a, in a godly manner, as he's already doing, and in 2020, we see that, you know, the spirit of you, the mighty spirit of you that, that, that will work in him and, and make him a leader in this place, lead us to where we want to go. Jesus, that's what I pray in your name. Yeah, I want to thank you, Father. You didn't uh, give this church a normal pastor, but you gave us an exceptional pastor. And um, we're blessed by that, and we understand that um, 
Phil's visionary and he's uh, determined, and um, that brings a lot of growth for our church that uh, um, someone who didn't have that wouldn't be able to bring as much. And it brings us challenges because we've got to grow with that, and um, we're all different kind of personalities. And we just thank you, Father, for the way you've wired us all as a family. And you put Phil as the head, and we're just so thankful for that, Father. Thankful for your guidance in this, for the blessing that it brings, and for the challenges that it brings. And we thank you for your journeying with us in that. Amen. Father, we just ask for your forgiveness. Um, pray, Lord, that you uh, will inspire us as a congregation to lift up Phil day by day, him and his family, Lord. And we just stand as a church against the arrows and the flames and the attack from the enemy on Phil and Phil's family. We pray, Lord, that uh, we can be strong for Phil because he, has, he leads us and he is under attack at times. And we just pray, Lord, that you will um, inspire us to stand in the gap and, and, and just pray and, and lift up Phil and his family as he leads us this year, Lord. It's such an exciting year ahead. We ask that you fill him with your spirit, Lord, and guide him, uh, give him the wisdom that he needs, Lord. Yeah. And we are just really excited uh, that we'll, we will be open to hear what uh, God says through this man and his family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's better than any sermon I could preach. It's a great example of family. That was really a setup too. And before I get started on today's message, uh, just feel to um, acknowledge and speak about just really what God's been doing this morning. Uh, it was evident from uh, conversations Haley and I had this week online just about this, the worship set and what she felt God was wanting to do. Uh, and I, I responded and I said, man, that's awesome because that's exactly what I sense God is leading us into as a church at the beginning of the year, uh, which is exciting. You know, God always goes before us. He prepares the ground. He prepares our hearts. He leads us into it. Uh, or as uh, someone else uh, said, sometimes he drags us into it. Uh, but uh, truth is, uh, he is in it. And so next week, I'm going to start a, a, a new series at the beginning of the year, and I don't want you to miss it. Um, next week, I'm going to be speaking specifically about a jealous God. And I'm going to uh, perhaps highlight to you that that's not what you think it means. Your, cons your perception or your, your experience of jealousy uh, is not actually what the Bible means when God is quoted as saying, I am a jealous God. But it has a very big potential impact on your life and how you live it and how 2020 will roll out for you by your choice. Um, I've got five messages brewing in that series uh, and I'm starting it next week. Uh, but also there's a specific reason why we booked the night service for the 23rd, and we're calling it an encounter night because we, as a church, love to create space for people to have an encounter with God. And there's a whole bunch of business that God wants to do with you. And so we've made an appointment for you. 
at 6 p.m. on the 23rd of February for you to come and present yourself before God and his altar of sacrifice, and we're going to let God do what God wants to do. And uh, um, I'm now understanding why, as different pieces of the message are brought to me through various people in the church, through prophetic prayer, through the worship, and, and other. So that makes me excited. You could perhaps look a little excited too. Because it's not for me. It's not just for me. Like, I'm in it. Trust me. I'm, I, what, what, what I teach you, uh, I walk before you hear it. So um, I'm excited about that. With regards to today, today is a day that I'm pausing to focus on vision. And I promise you, I've made a promise to the team, I've made a promise to the elders, nothing scary today. I promise you that, okay? Uh, I, I, uh, well, nothing that I think is scary. And, and, and I say that to perhaps alleviate any apprehension you have about, oh my goodness, Phil's going to talk vision, we know what that means, a new direction or a new initiative. Uh, shouldn't be like that today. Just more of the same. Well, it's about how you see it. But anyway, um, and, and so far as vision, John Maxwell has been quoted as saying, a leader with no followers is simply a man going on a walk by himself. And I remind myself of that often. I remind myself of that, that if I am to be an effective leader, I should look behind me. And if I'm alone, I have a problem. And so leadership isn't about just me spouting on what I believe God is saying or, or what I think is exciting. It's actually about us going together on a journey. And that's what today is about. Today I do want to speak about 2020 vision. I want to set the sail for where we're going and I've got some stuff I want to share with you. I want you to hear what we're seeing and sensing and feeling that God's got for us as a church and this flows out of the eldership time that we have together uh, that was in, the end, in December last year and then time that the team have had uh, early this year in, in working on things in order that collectively we might walk together into the future God's got for us. Uh, I'm not going to spell out every jot and tittle. We are not here all day. I'm watching the clock, my Lord. Um, but uh, my, my goal is to give you something to take away. And before we do that, though, some thoughts on vision. George Washington Carver, he says this. He says, without no vision, there is no hope. And I believe he was quoting someone that said it uh, quite a bit before him. You might have read it somewhere. Helen Keller says the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. And one would say without vision, the people perish. Dr. Zeus, in speaking about vision, says, why fit in when you were born to stand out? And I'm going to point to that today. This man, many of you will know, very wise man and a great example to us all. Nelson Mandela says, action without vision is only passing time. Vision without action is merely daydreaming. But vision with action can change the world. And then lastly, I took a photo at one of our church picnics. It says, if you can't have fun, there's no sense in doing it. This is not oral surgery or invasive, corrective manipulation of your internal organs today. 
This is an exciting opportunity to pause and set the sails and together sail the good ship lollipop into the future in line with what God is walking us into. So with regards to 2020 vision, I want to speak about that today. Uh, You, as well as I, may have seen some memes or heard some cheesy quotes about this being the year of perfect vision, because some of you will recognize that 2020 vision is a way that we describe perfect vision, but I'm not going there for that. Uh, In fact, I'm going to take a twist on that later, and I've got something prophetic to finish with today that I believe is, is is a breath of God for us to wrestle with in order that we might bring and take life into our families and what God is saying to us as a church. So this morning, briefly, I'm going to do four things. We're going to look at Scripture to get our guidance on why we do what we do. Before we know what, we must know why. And the Scripture is the guidance that helps us to understand the why. Before we know the what, I'm going to talk about the how. How is it that God has called us to journey together as a family, and I'm going to speak specifically about that. It's not new, it's not rocket science, but it's very, very clear and easy to understand. Thirdly, I'm going to then speak specifically about five key areas that um, the, the sta- you'll see the staff working on uh, so that you can be part of it. Um, it's not the fullness of what we're doing, but there's just five things I thought I'd share today. And finally, the prophetic promise uh, or prophetic comment that I promised for you. So let's take a look at Scripture. Are you ready to go? You've got your Bibles, you can swipe to Matthew 5, but it's on the screen for you. Let me read it from verse 14 to 16. Who's, who, whose words are these? Matthew 5, who's speaking? It's not a trick question. Jesus, where is Jesus? He's on the mount. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking to the multitudes and giving them guidance for kingdom living, which is perhaps a little different than they were used to, but it's the Sermon on the Mount and it's guidance for us on kingdom living and how we should live. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus, I ask that you would shine your light on these scriptures, that you would shine your light into our hearts and that your Holy Spirit would come and do its work in us of transformation, that we would catch something from the scriptures as we meditate on them and to begin to form a pathway forward for 2020. We thank you that you're with us and that you're speaking through us. Amen. So, let's scribble all over the Scriptures. I don't know how you treat your Bible. Uh, This Bible has no scribbles in it, but I scribble all over Scripture because I want to understand it. So, let's do that. So, Jesus is speaking, as you can see on the screen, to you. Jesus is making a very personal statement to every person that would have ears to hear this, and seeing as you're here that might include you. There is no hiding from this. This is no saying, well, that's about the guy next to me, or man, I really hope my wife hears this. It's for you. Very clearly, I want to say at the beginning, Jesus is speaking to you, and he's saying, look, there's a promise here. You are the light of the world. Well, that's a great encouragement. You, 
Not the person next to you, not the guy who's the preacher, not the guy who's in charge of um, pastoral care in town or the, the bishop down the road. You, Jesus says, are the light of the world. We might actually say this, we could scribble on our Bible and say, well, light drives away darkness. So what if Jesus was saying, you are the light of, who drives away the darkness of the world? You. And that collectively means all of us. You are the light of the world. Jesus says you're like a city on a hilltop. I've lived in several cities and I like visiting big cities and I asked myself this week, is Tiaomudu a city? Well, not by some measure. But Jesus is not just talking about the size of something or the location of something. What we understand is that in biblical times, these towns and villages and cities formed around family. And that a gathering of people was what you can see on the screen there. I wrote it. It's a collective of families. Usually they were all related because that's how the Jews lived in that time. They usually took care of each other by one growing something and one raising other crops and one taking care of the children. They worked together as a collective, working together for the good of everyone who lived in that area. You're a city. We're a city. I think this is speaking to us. We're a collective of families that gather together. We're supposed to be looking out for one another for the good of all. We're supposed to take our part in this as part of the family, and really that's, I suppose, what Jesus is trying to point to. It says also that we live on a hilltop, but your version of the Bible, as traditional versions say, they use the word mountain in the text. The traditional word in the original text actually speaks of a mountain. If you were here for last year, for 2019, we spoke a lot about our mountain. If you weren't here, if you didn't catch it, you can go back and hear some of it on our YouTube channel. The rebirth season we went through to become Zion was all about understanding that God has gathered us into the place where he dwells in order that he would be glorified through us. Zion is the place where God dwells. We're collective. We've been joined together. We've been guided into a place of gathering where God's presence is in order that we would have a purpose. Jesus then used some really strong language. He says, you cannot be hidden. Strong word. He didn't say, look, it's hard for you to be hidden. Like if you choose, you could be hidden. No, he doesn't say that. One simple word with one simple meaning, regardless of which language you look at it, Jesus says, a city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. In those days, I understand from someone else's teaching that I heard once, is they painted the town white on the side of the hill so the moonlight would shine and reflect on it and give people a place of safety to head towards if they were in the danger of the evening where the robbers and the bandits used to steal from people. Can't be hidden when the light of God is shining on you. Well, what is the opposite of hidden then? Look at the, t look at the screen. Opposite of hidden means we must shine. And why must we shine? We must shine in order to give light to others. Who is everyone? Just everyone who can see us. Well, actually, no. If you go up to the top line where it says you're the light of the world, the Greek word they used was cosmos. From that, we would take the cosmos being all of creation. Fancy that. You're the light of all creation. 
So he's not talking about a physical light. He's talking about a spiritual light. You are the spiritual light of the world who is to drive away the darkness of creation. Suddenly this text has a bit of weight to it for us and how we're supposed to live. Are you scribbling on your Bible? Are you taking notes? Are you understanding? Because like, this is just me sharing my thoughts, but really what my desire is, I'd point you to this so that God would share his thoughts with you this week as you meditate on the scripture and ask God to speak to you personally. What does God want to show you this week? All I'm doing is sharing what he showed me. Remember the light at the top there? Can you see that? It's green. I just circled it in green. The light that drives away the darkness of the world. Look at this. It's also down there. No one lights a lamp. Jesus is speaking about you as the lamp, but he's talking about bringing light into you. I posed a question on Facebook last night, and that was this. Who lit your lamp? Well, what, what are we talking about there? If it's the light that drives away the darkness of the cosmos, where did that light originate? That's in me. That light originated in him. Like, it's, it's a simple truth, but it's one that we've got to continually come back to. Jesus is the light that lit me up and changed me and transformed me in order that I could do something with it. That's what the text is showing us. You know, the same light that fills you with God's truth, the same light that transformed you in the blink of an eye for eternity, the same light that set you free from bondage to sin, that same light, He lit in you. You didn't do it on your own. I can't do it. No pastor can do it. Jesus himself comes and lights your lamp with the light that we should share. Jesus lit your lamp. Jesus brings his truth, but it's not for you to contain. Jesus lit a lamp. He doesn't put it under a basket, but it's supposed to give the light to everyone who's around. What does that mean? Well, the same Light that transformed your life should transform the life of others. The same hope that's in you because Christ is the hope of all glory should be the same hope that you give to other people. The same light that guides you day to day is the same light that is there to guide other people. You have that light. You're carriers of that light. We're all carriers of that light because Jesus lit our lamp. Jesus then says the lamp is placed on a stand. What that says to me is we've got some sovereign promotion that happens here. Jesus says, I didn't save you and light you up just so you could hide under a bush, but I'm giving you prominence. I'm giving you promotion. I'm giving you elevation. And there again, we see that place of stand. We talk about Zion being a place where God's light is preeminent. As Zion people in Tiamudu, as Zion's family, we stand here not to be proud, but, you know, God has given us a command to be prominent. That's how we've got to think about it. We're not prideful in going out and doing what we do. We're commanded to be prominent because God gave us this light. And there's the whole point at the end of the verse. Jesus says, because the light that's in you is designed to light other people's life up and set them free, let your good deeds, your light shine before all mankind. This is why we must have vision that propels us. Dr. Zeus says we've got to stand out from the crowd. 
perhaps not a biblical teaching, but not irrelevant to the teaching of Jesus. Nelson Mandela says, vision without action can change the, vision with action can change the world. We are called, look at this, to change the world so that everyone will glorify God. That's why we exist. We're not passengers on a bus to heaven hoping we got on the right number. At the bus stop, God's word is guiding us. It's still our commission today. And the reason why I wanted to pause and look at this was to understand why we do what we do. Because 2020 vision isn't just a list of things to do from Monday to Friday or Sunday to Thursday, whatever it is. 2020 vision is serving that purpose and that mission. That commission is still relevant to us as God's representatives. So we've got to come together. We understand the why. Let's think about the how. So why is because Jesus asked us to. How is all about family. This is a picture of family. I'm going to show you a picture of family this morning. It's not rocket science, but it's simple enough that we should all get it. The way that I view family is that, um, well, look, in the same way, you did not choose the family you were born into. Have you ever asked that question? Like, why did I get born into this family? Well, God knew that. And God chose that family for you to be born into. I'm talking your blood family. But we also believe that God ordains family connection and relationship, and we can apply that to church. We believe, and we, we actually say this when we meet new people in Te Amuru, is that God has called people into family relationship. For some, it's for a moment. For some, it's a season. And for others, it's a lifetime. But it's God who ordains that. So when I meet visitors that are new to Tiamudu, I say, look, I know God's called you to a family. Let's try and discover which one it is. Because I know all the church pastors here, and I know what they do, and I know how they worship. Let's find a match. Because if you're supposed to be there and you stay here, well, that's messy for you, and it's messy for me. God ordains family. And let me say it carefully, but directly, God doesn't worry about your comfort when he chooses where you have family. And Kathy and I learned that in 2009, we were in Florida, and I wanted to go to this church, and God said, go to that church. And I'm like, are you serious? He always has reason in that. So what I want to show you is the five elements of what I'm, what I'm, what I'm talking about with regards to family. And if I could get the ushers to hand out the a handout, we've got one of these for each family. family. Uh, my goal is you take it home and put it on your fridge or put it in your Bible and look at it. But I'm calling this the double blessing of engagement, and let me explain why. There are two sides to the blessing of being connected and engaged into family. And you might say, well, of course the pastor wants to say that because he wants us here. Well, that's true, clearly true. But Kathy and I, we learned those lessons before we were leading a church. When we've, when we've been called into a church, wherever that is, we've said, Lord, why are we here? And, you know, by being engaged in family and serving in family and connecting in family, we've been blessed with lifelong friends. Lifelong friends because we chose to plug in. As we've served, as we've found opportunities, as we've grown in our knowledge of who we are, we've actually discovered that God gave us spiritual gifts. And he gave us those gifts to bless other people. But in blessing other people, we found that we got blessed. There's like two sides to it. We've also understood that as we've sacrificed, we've actually become larger. As we've sacrificed ourselves and given of ourselves, our world 
suddenly became bigger. So that's one side of the blessing. But the truth is, and I tell you this because I can see this as a church leader, is the collective is blessed when you show up. I shared last week, I know what my gifts are and I know what they're not. I know what my strengths are and I know what they're not. And without you plugging in, the family misses out. So collectively, the collective family is blessed because you show up. So on one part, I'm blessed because I plug in, and on the other part, the family is blessed because you're there. I just want to quickly point to these five things. They're on the back of your handout and a lot more definition, but I just want to show you something. The first one you can see on the screen is I've referred to as salvation. Now, we debated this as a team this week, and we agreed that salvation, as we know it, is a one-time thing. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we confess that He came to earth, died as a man, and rose again in order that when we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, our salvation grants us access into eternity with God. But I also have the view that that's not the end of it. I have a phrase that I use called the fullness of your salvation. I believe God's got more for all of us. God's got more for me. That's why I'm worshiping here in the middle of that worship set going, God, if there's more of you, then take bits of me away in order that I could experience more of you. That's called progressing my salvation or uh, the fullness of my salvation. And I've just done a little coloring in here. Because if I'm immature or young in my faith, then I might only color in a small part of that segment. And that's not a criticism. That's just a reflection of where I am in my maturity in Christ. But there's seasons in my life where God knocks on my heart and says, hey, son, time to grow up a bit more. Let's go and do some business. And if I'm agreeing, then I get to color in a little bit more. It's just a concept I'm trying to show you, that we can mature and grow up in each area of our engagement with family, not just one. Please don't think because you call yourself a Christian that that's all God's got for you. There's far more for all of us. The next one I've called serving. And again, I've touched on that, but when, when I grow in this area, when I engage, when I plug in, I actually get blessed. Now, if you're struggling with understanding how you can serve, we've been speaking about running a class and how you can know yourself, know your story, know your gifts, and work out where to plug in. Because we want to help. Don't sit there confused. Ask for help. Next one I've called invite. And I'll speak about this in a minute because it's actually part of our strategy. The fourth one is connect. I've said this for years. As our church grows, we need to help it to get smaller. It's not a, it's not a weird statement. It's just we need to become more tightly connected. In our church, we call those connect groups. And we encourage you to be part of a connect group. And you can connect it a little bit or a lot. The choice is up to you as you find balance. And finally, this last one is we believe the Bible teaches that as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be generous in our giving. I'm not going to start a sermon on giving now. But God has got some mind-blowing concepts in Scripture about giving of ourselves and giving of what He's blessed us with. Did you know that you're not the owner of all that you have, but merely a steward of it? Which means you shouldn't be the one deciding what you do with it. Again, you can color in that a little bit or you can color in it a lot. 
choice is up to you, but God will lead you if you invite him to. And all I'm trying to say is let's make the circle stronger, let's make it bigger, let's all go on a journey to engage in family in order that we would walk into what God's got for us. Because it's not about me making it happen. If that is the only strategy we have here, I'm going to die and you're all going to be lost in the wilderness. It's only going to happen if we do it together. So what I wanted to do then, and I realize I'm moving quickly, but I promised I wouldn't go long today. I promised my team. They laughed at me. But um, let's think about what this looks like as a family. This is the handout that you've got. Um, we want to understand that what we focus on is what we move toward. We're focusing on, on, on each of these elements and how we create an environment for you to be part of the family. And I just want to briefly share five things that you're going to see us focus on this year. 2020 vision is all about these five things today. One of the key strategies we want to do is to help Zion family actually feel like family. I shared last week to you that it really ripped my heart when I got the feedback from the survey that said people weren't engaging in family because they just didn't feel like it was family. Now, it's reality, but it still hurts. So as a leadership team at Eldership, and you're going to see more happening shortly, we are going to make this a priority. We are trying to create environments where people can feel like they're family, where they've got a voice, where they've got a role to play, where they're seen, acknowledged, and valued. But it's only going to be family if you plug in. We're shifting some activities. We're shifting some priorities that we have, and we're trying to build culture. But culture is something that only happens when we all get on board. One little announcement, which will be formalized through your email newsletter which you'll get shortly, uh, but we are going to call a family meeting, and we're going to have the first family meeting in March, early March, probably a Wednesday night, and our goal there is to create an environment for communication. Uh, we want to give you an update on things like uh, where the staff are at and what they're doing, what the financial status and the journey of the church is, what are the key things we're focusing on, what are the problems that we're experiencing, both physically and spiritually, so that you can be part of our journey. So watch out for the invitation, and please come along. Again, communication is important. Engagement is important. Um, the second thing that we wanted to just clarify, and I have talked about this before, is that we're implementing, we've been working on for a year, and we're now implementing a functioning shepherding system. What is shepherding? Shepherding is taking care of people and helping them connect. It's a crude definition. I'm not going to go into it, but I would like to make one point. The biblical model of shepherding being effective is not the senior pastor visiting everyone in the church. And I would suggest that you go and look at Jethro's advice to Moses in Exodus 17, which was about empowerment. And I'd also suggest you go and look at the decision that the 12 apostles made in Acts chapter 6 when they determined what their core focus was as leaders of the church. Am I saying I don't want to be a part of it? No, I'm not saying that. But if it's depending on me, you're going to get let down. The truth is, we see connect groups as a primary source of taking care of people. 
the elders set a target for us that we would have 75% of our family in a regular connect group. What is a connect group? A small group of people that meet regularly. Where do they meet? Wherever they want. What do they do when they get there? Whatever they want. How often do they meet? When they want. This is, a, this is um, a very big thing in our church, and here's how I know why. Because I'm still hearing gossip saying wrong things about connect groups that I never said. And gossip is a weapon that the enemy uses to pull down those things that God is trying to establish. So the fact that there's still weird things being said about connect groups reinforces to the leadership that it's a really important strategy for us. If you're not part of a connect group, start one. Just let us know what you're doing. If you want to be part of a connect group, don't want to lead one, come and see one of us in the office and we'll help find you one that works for you. We've got heaps of resources, but we don't want to tell you what to do. Connect groups is a really important part of life. And this is why relationship creates opportunity for vulnerability. And vulnerability drives connection. It's best to do that in a connect group. Fourthly, we're going to reach out, continue to reach out with what we're calling loosely relational evangelism. Last year, there's a message at the end of the year where I shared with you about how we're going to shepherd our town. You should go and look at it and make sure you check out the slides because graphically they show you our model for doing this. Firstly, we ask the community what the community needs that we could serve practically in love. And we're currently having that conversation with um, local social agencies so that we can best hear what the community needs and seek to serve that need practically. The hampers that we did at Christmas time, we gave away over 200 hampers to families in Tiaomudu, and it was just amazing to see the community come together and serve that financially with food donations. And then, Ash, how many people came in here to pack the hampers? 60 unique people, 60 different people, and a large percentage of those? And how many were not church members? In here, packing food for the community. That's awesome. We're gonna, so we're going to do stuff like that again. But that's not enough. As I said last year, it's only evangelism if we can find a way to point to Jesus. So everything we do leads people towards an event where we host an event, a Christian event, where the message of Jesus is proclaimed. And everyone gets invited. And the next one on our calendar is Easter. And last week, we started planning for Easter already. Finally, the elders have set a target that we would have 100 recorded visitors in 2020. 2020. Why? Well, the, the coaching and the leadership mentoring that we receive from um, books and programs would suggest that if the church is going to grow and be effective in growing, it needs to actually invite people in and connect them in. It's not rocket science. But they also say that you should have annual number of visitors equal to your minimum Sunday morning attendance. So that's where that number came from. We've got to measure it. We've got to track it. We've got to have systems for it. We've got to make sure that we're inviting people, which is why one of the segments in how you become family is to invite people to those events that we put on in order that they would hear the message of Jesus. I know that I've moved really quickly through this today, but it was important for me 
to first and foremost help you to understand why we do what we do. And that is based on the teaching of Jesus, that we would understand that we carry his light, not for our own sake, but to light up the world, to drive darkness out of creation in order that they too would see the light of Jesus Christ. That's the why. How we do that is we do it as family. And I'm inviting you to plug in as we roll out initiatives this year, purely with the goal of connecting people. Finally, there's a few things on our to-do list. That's just a sample of them. But they're the ones I wanted to share today. If I could just take two minutes to finish with this prophetic promise, I want you to watch the screen. You take 2020 and you add it together and you get 40. That's profound, eh? What does 40 represent as a number in the Bible? Well, just go back and start at the beginning and turn the pages a few and you'll see that God was uh, very displeased with all of creation. He decided to start again. And it rained for 40 days and nights. Just turn a few more pages. There's this big ugly dude called Goliath, and he stood before the people of God, and he ridiculed them and taunted them for 40 days. King Saul was the king at the time. He reigned for 40 years. David was the successor who reigned for 40 years, Judah and then Israel. And Solomon did also. Moses went up the mountain to get the word of God, spoke with him as a man speaks face to face with another man for how long? 40 days and nights. Elijah lay on his side praying and interceding for God's people for 40 nights. Jesus was baptized and then went into the wilderness where he was tempted by the accuser and then fasted in the desert for 40 days. The number 40 in the Bible represents a period of testing and preparation. The number of 40 days and 40 nights actually just symbolizes a really long time. So when the Bible says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and the, and the earth opened up and the water came out, well, it was a long time. But the number is significant. 40 represents a time of preparation while waiting for the Lord to bring about His promise of deliverance provision, or dominion. I'm starting to sense that the number, of, the number 40 is symbolic of testing for us, but it represents the preparation we've been through, which is now shifting into a season of God's deliverance. We're not starting the 40 years because 2020 is the completion of those years. It's the number of years completed, isn't it, on the calendar? I believe this is the year we can declare the favor of the Lord. The time has come for him to bring deliverance on those things he has prepared us for. Can someone please say amen to that? If you're interested in the number 40, it's the product of multiplying the number five by the number eight. The number five in the Bible represents God's goodness and grace towards mankind. Repeatedly through the Bible, about 318 times. The number eight represents a new beginning. There were eight people who stepped out of the ark. The eighth person was Noah, through whom all of mankind 
was birthed. Number eight means new creation. It means resurrection. It means regeneration. So number 40 means because of God's grace and goodness towards mankind, we can, speak, we can expect his sovereignty to bring resurrection and regeneration in order that he would fulfill those things he promised. Can I please get an amen to that? I'm submitting this to you, that you would consider it in your spirit, ask God to speak to you about it, and see if you get that resonance of spirit where we will see unity in this church as we all stand together and agree. I'm not standing here saying you guys should just accept it. I'm proposing it prophetically for people to come into alignment with. But I'm excited. Because if God's going to move sovereignly to bring deliverance within all those things we believe for, we're going to see a fresh wave of his spirit in this town that leads people to find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. A fresh wave of his Holy Spirit in our worship where new songs of heaven are released through our band for our family to worship and express their dedication to God in a new way. Revival where repentance leads people to God's truth, his love, and his forgiveness. God is going to do it. Let us have faith that he does it through us as we have faith in him. So uh, one of the things that we find effective here uh, lately is to give you some questions to ponder. So I'm going to leave these on the screen. I'm going to pray for you. And then, should we make some coffee? Coffee's on. Coffee's on Ash. So if you want coffee, go and see Ash at the back. But I would ask you to consider these questions. You can discuss them today. You can take them home and discuss them over lunch. You can discuss them with friends during the week. That's called a connect group. What would make you feel more like family? And don't make that a negative session. Make it a solution session. When people come to me complaining, my first thing is, okay, well, what are you going to do about this? So be be positive in, in talking about it. Of the five elements that contribute to family, which one do you feel you need to work on? I know which ones I'm working on. Which ones do you feel you need to work on? And finally, what are the gifts God gave you to be active part of the body? So let me pray. Father, I thank you that you are teaching us something, and I pray that we would have the inclination to lean our ear towards you and our heart to be open, that we would receive what you have for us personally. I pray for every person that's here in the building listening to this. I pray for each person that's listening to it on the live stream or the podcast. Lord, that they would lean in also to have an ear to hear what you're saying to them, to have a heart open to receive it, and Lord, to have the faith and confidence to step into action. Lord, as the designated leader of this church, I humbly bow before you, insufficient, in my own strength, fully dependent on your grace and your enabling. And God, I believe with all my heart that you're going to do something amazing amongst us and through us. And I confess that my faith is that you will do a mighty work and you will be glorified as your light shines through us. I ask you to bless these families in Jesus' precious name. Amen.